one. Good afternoon. Welcome to the digital marketing podcast and video series where we talk about digital marketing tactics and strategies to help grow your business. Today, I'm, I am so excited about our guest on the show today. My, my skin is literally, my, the hair is sticking up on my arm. I'm telling you guys, what you're about to listen to is going to shock you. I promise you that. I came across an article on Forbes last week that stopped me dead in my tracks. And I had to search uh, the, the author of this article. I had to search him out. I found him on Twitter. And I said, I need you to be a guest on the show and talk about this. So today, I'm very excited to have Dr. Augustine Fu on the show to talk about his article, When Big Brands Stop Spending ad, di on Digital Ads, Nothing Happened. Why? Dr. Fu, thank you so much for joining the show today. So you are a 25-year practitioner of digital marketing. Tell me about, tell the listeners about your background, how you got started, some of the places you've worked for, and, and where you are now. Well, I kind of fell into digital marketing. Um, I was a PhD at MIT doing chemical engineering, so nothing to do with what I do these days. But I came to New York to start working at McKinsey & Company doing management consulting, and this was around 95, 96 time frame. And at that time, that was right when the internet started bubbling up out of uh, academia and military, and you know websites were starting to, to be put up, and things like that. So I decided instead of be a spectator to the industry, I wanted to kind of jump in and be in the trenches and roll up my sleeves. So I left McKinsey in 96 and you know, started doing digital marketing, which at that time, meant convincing clients they needed a website. Uh, so, you know, fast forward 25 years to today, a lot has happened in digital and digital has changed a lot of things, right? including some of the stuff that we saw last week. So that's kind of how I fell into digital marketing. But as a scientist, I'm always data driven. I'm always analytics focused. So when a marketer says, oh, something's working, you know, I'll say, well, prove it to me, show me the data. Right? So, that's why I'm always uh, on the analytics side of things and, and looking more deeply in that. And I've been a small business owner for most of these 25 years, uh, with the exception of a couple of stints at a big agency, as well as uh, on the client side at American Express. But now I'm back to doing the consulting and focusing on the topic of digital ad fraud, because now with programmatic advertising, right, where all these ads are being bought and sold and placed with algorithms, uh, very few humans are actually looking closely, right? Because there's just too many billions of ads flying around. And because of that, um, we've kind of stepped back from the careful analysis that's required. So I've said before, you know, small business owners do better digital marketing than the biggest brands simply because they're looking more closely. And the largest advertisers are uh, just handing their uh, budgets to media agencies to spend for them. Right. And in those cases, if they're not looking, uh, they're the easiest victims of ad fraud. You know, and, and I, in your article, you mentioned specifically some pretty big Fortune 500 companies like Procter & Gamble and Chase and Uber and, and a few years back eBay, who under took took went through an experiment 
of turning off their ads. Um, and and that, that information was publicized and, and it's part of your analysis. So what, what did you find? What did you observe uh, in those case studies? Well, it's something I've been encouraging marketers to do for a long time, which is what I call turn off experiments, right? So the easiest way to tell if your digital marketing is working for you is to turn it off, right? To pause it for a certain period of time and see if there's any change in your business outcomes. Now this comes from the challenges of doing attribution, right? So mm. you want to try to figure out if your um, advertising is driving any incremental business outcomes. But unfortunately for some of the largest brands, they're definitely afraid of turning off their digital spend, right? Or even their marketing spend because they, they think that their competitors are not going to turn it off and they think that they're going to lose market share. So these cases are actually very rare, and that's why there's only four of them, right, that we can actually talk about and they're, they're public. So, you know, the case was where uh, P&G turned off $200 million of their digital spend. Obviously, not everyone can turn off $200 million, but when they turned that off, and that's digital spend specifically, they saw no change in business outcomes. So it's like, oh, well, whether that's fraud or not, uh, is that actually driving any incremental business for the advertiser, right? So they found that out by turning it off. The second example was Chase, where they had 400,000 websites showing their digital ads. But then when they reduced it down to 5,000 sites showing their ads, which represents a 99% decrease, they saw no change in their business outcomes. Right? And then finally, the Uber case was where they turned off their ad spending, which was designed to help them get more app installs. But as it turns out, you can imagine humans installed the Uber app because they wanted to, not because they saw an ad and clicked on it. So what was happening, the type of fraud that was happening there is that the mobile exchanges were making it appear that they were driving those app installs when those app installs would have happened anyway. Right? So in those cases, that's the form of fraud. So Uber found that out after they spent a whole bunch of money and uh, and they found that out because they turned off their ad spend and, and found out that the app installs didn't stop. It just continued at the same rate. Uh, and then finally eBay, a long, long time ago, I think it was like 2015, they ran their own experiment and turned off a lot of their paid search ads and found that there was no change in the traffic uh, to the site and the sales that occurred. So, you know, this is something that small business owners probably will do a lot more often because they're much tighter and much more vigilant with their own dollars, right? Because there's a finite number of dollars. And if those dollars are not driving an incremental business outcome for them, they can't afford to spend the next $100 or $1,000. So I think in general, you know, those experiments, there's only a few of them that are reported publicly that I can now cite. But I would encourage more marketers to run these turn off experiments for themselves and see if the digital marketing is actually working well for them. You know, Dr. Fu, I, I think we should not make an assumption that every person that's listening to this episode has a really good idea of what programmatic actually is. So uh, in, in, in a shortest and, and, and you know, most basic definition, how, how would you describe what programmatic marketing really means? marketing is very much like Wall Street, right? So the, the stock exchange is designed to help match up buyers and sellers of shares of stock. So similarly, programmatic exchanges are basically matching up buyers and sellers of digital ads. 
And the reason this came about is, you know, over the years, um, you know, we now see a proliferation of websites. And these are smaller and smaller niche sites, right? We collectively call them the long tail sites. So they have highly specialized content. And because they have such niche content, there's only a small number of humans that are passionately uh, interested in that topic. So they have a small number of humans. But the idea, the theory of the long tail is that if you put together millions of these long tail sites, collectively, there should be a large enough volume, right? But what's happened in digital is as we see this proliferation of sites, they're so small that no uh, brand advertiser is going to be able to go talk to every single one of them to place the ads, right? In previous years, they would just go to New York Times and buy some ads from New York Times. But when it's, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of these tiny sites, the advertiser cannot negotiate with them, you know, one at a time. So that's what gave rise to programmatic ad networks or ad exchanges, where hundreds of thousands of these tiny, tiny websites could become part of that exchange, and they would simply copy and paste some code onto their web pages. And then the advertisers would simply go to one place, the exchange, to say, okay, we want to buy a million dollars worth of ads. And then that exchange would use their technology, their programmatic tech, to place ads across hundreds of thousands of sites. So that's kind of how that came about. But what's also happened is that instead of the advertiser going to a known publisher like New York Times and saying, we want to buy ads from you, we've now dissociated the buyer of the ad from the seller of the ads. So now we have all these uh, you know, long tail websites that no one's ever heard of selling ad impressions to the exchanges. And because of that, that lack of transparency, that's where the fraud creeps in. Because now you can imagine mm. bad guys and set up fake websites, add a thousand of them to an exchange, and the exchange won't even notice because they've got 500,000 other websites that are part of the exchange. So then when the advertisers buy and their ads are sprayed across thousands and thousands of sites, they literally don't know where their ads went. And that's how the bad guys can start stealing from those ad budgets, again, by using fake websites that have fake traffic, i.e. bots. So essentially, you're, the, the analysis of the Procter & Gamble, the, the Chase, and, and Uber experiments, they pretty much just verified that there is widespread fraud and, and these fake sites that are driven by bot traffic that are, are selling ad space to, a, to an empty shell. Yeah, basically, you know, I cite those as examples of, you know, when you turn it off, nothing happened. So whether or not it was fraud, uh, it still didn't drive any business outcomes, right? So the pragmatic way of interpreting it is if it didn't drive business outcomes, turn it off, right? But the it, it's a data point that shows that, you know, even if you have super massive quantities of ad impressions, if the ad's not shown to a human, it won't drive any business outcomes for you, right? So in those cases, even though Parker Gamble was spending 200 million, uh, actually their total digital budget is closer to 2 billion worldwide. But you know the 200 million spent on buying all these ads was not driving any incremental business for them, right? Similarly with the other marketers that ran that experiment. But again, it's kind of you know it's it's hard for these marketers to run those experiments. But I would encourage them to still do it because otherwise they're just buying a large quantity of ads uh, that don't produce any business outcomes for them. Wow. I, it's, it's just, uh, you know, 
it's unbelievable when when you when you really start to unpack uh, what is the underbelly? What's the dark underbelly of programmatic? Uh, it's it's uh, it's surprising. So what are what are marketers? What are business owners? If I'm a digital marketing manager for my company, or I am an agency, uh, I'm in an agency and I handle multiple accounts, and I'm trying to make sure that you know my clients or my business is is making the right decision. What what, what do we do about this? small and medium businesses tend to be already better at this and less exposed to the fraud simply because they're looking at their own business outcomes and they're also vigilant about their own analytics because they'll probably notice there's a problem before they end up spending $100 million like Uber did and then figure out, whoops, it went to fraud. Right? So hopefully because of the vigilance and because of the focus on business outcomes, um, the small business owners and the agencies that serve them might be able to catch this kind of fraud sooner. But the whole point about, you know, you kind of you get what you pay for, right? If you're buying all these low cost ads from programmatic exchanges, no matter how much you buy, right? Even if you buy large quantities, it's not going to work for you. So I think really the recommendation for small and medium businesses and the agencies would be continue the vigilance. You know, uh, we the, the money is precious, right? The, the ad dollars are precious. So you know, if, if the $100 that you spend did not drive any business outcomes, uh, the small business is not going to be able to spend the next $100, right? So stay focused on that. And, you know, it's like also don't make assumptions, right? Don't just assume that, you know, this channel is clean or, you know, it's fraud free. It's really about trust your gut. When you look at your Google Analytics and you see, you know, 100% bounce rates from certain visitors coming from your paid campaigns, or a one second time on site, you know, your gut will tell you something wrong with that. That person could not have made a purchase. They could not have done anything on your site if they left after one second. So, you know, just simple things like that, you can already tell. You don't need any kind of specialized technology to detect the fraud. It's like, just look at the analytics. And if there's anything strange, ask harder questions, right? Don't just assume it's fine. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, if, Every business that's out there has been affected by COVID and, and the economic conditions. I mean, there have been some verticals, you know, obviously healthcare, um, you know, is, is at max capacity uh, in locations throughout the United States and, and even in other countries. Um, but if, if, I'm a, if I'm a new business, or if I am a business, maybe I'm in hospitality, maybe I'm in tourism, and I had to shut things down for Q3, Q4, 2020, and I'm looking to come back online in 2021, maybe uh, you know Q1 or, or Q2. I, I can't afford to have you know add waste. I can't afford to have you know my dollars going to fraud sites like. You know what? What do we do if we're going to start at ground zero and start? How do we get started? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, the virus caused a lot of marketers to pause their spend in 2020, and some of them are starting to turn it back on. And I think the good thing that's come out of the the crisis is that more marketers are looking more carefully. Right, the largest marketers who didn't look at all before are now actually starting to look more carefully. But you know, as a digital marketer, you know, I've been a small business owner, and I've done all my digital marketing myself. 
I would say uh, search advertising and search marketing would probably be a really good place to start. And that's because not only is it at a time when the person is looking for something, right? Uh, when they're looking for something, that's the best time to show them an ad. And they even help you by telling you what they're looking for, right? So if they're looking for a ski vacation, that would be the ideal time for Vail Tourism to show them an ad, right? That would be a search ad. But also keep in mind that, you know, for paid advertising, um, the impact of it is over after the ad is run, right? It, the impact is done the moment after the ad runs. However, if you're investing that same dollar in content creation, the content that's on your site or on your other properties can uh, give you lasting dividends right over time. So if a small business owner has $1 to spend on digital marketing, first thing I would do is create content, right? So that content might take a little bit of time to uh, rise up in search uh, results, right? Ranking in the search results. But that's the first order of business because before you spend a dollar in paid search marketing, right? You have to have the content there because if they clicked on your paid ad and they came to your website and there's no content there, they're going to leave pissed off, right? So make sure you have the right content there first and then you can do paid search advertising to bring the right kinds of people there. And it's really kind of a balancing act. So initially when your organic content is not ranked in, in organic search results yet, then you want to do a little more of a paid search, right? To generate awareness and things like that. But over time, as your organic uh, search results rise up in, in the search engine stack, that result stack, then you can spend less on the paid side because people will find your content anyway. Right? So it's really a balancing between those two things. And you know, after you spend your money on the search, then if you still need more awareness, then of course display ads, video ads, YouTube ads, and things like that would be useful for generating more awareness. But I think you know, what I'm seeing is that more marketers are just being a little more careful and more considered in terms of when uh, they turn the marketing back on or what they start spending on again. I mean, you know, I we started off the program by saying you are a practitioner of the ideas that, that you recommend and, and prescribe to. And that's exactly how I found you through content marketing. You wrote an article that I saw in Forbes magazine because I got an email from another news uh, outlet that I subscribed to and, and the headline of your long form written article popped into you know, my email thread in my email feed and I clicked on it and I found you. And then I tried to figure out, okay, how do I reach out to you? I went to social media, found you on Twitter. That same human process happens for companies, organizations, associations. And, and when we talk about content marketing, long form content marketing, I, you know, I love it. You, 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 you kind of painted the story uh, perfectly by saying, if you don't have the content to begin with, if you set up the ads and you deliver them to your site and, and they leave and they, they get there and they feel unsatisfied or they, they feel like, Oh, this is not what I was looking for. And they leave. That's really ad waste. You didn't set yourself up for success. So I, and I love the idea of the, the balance spend, you know, you, 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 you talk about, knowing when to shift, maybe unpack that just for another minute or two. When do you shift from 
ad spend to content creation and kind of back and forth? I think you start with content creation before you do the ad spend, because like you said, if they arrive on your site and they don't get anything useful out of it, they're going to leave disappointed. And in fact, that's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth and say, oh, well, if they, if they don't even provide me any value on their website, how would I hope that they would provide me value when I walk into their store or something, right? So in that case, um, you might actually be doing more damage if you do the paid side of things before you do the, the content side of things. Now, I realize for a lot of small business owners, uh, writing doesn't come easy, content doesn't come easy. But it's a chance for you to be genuine and for you to tell your customer, your, your potential customers, who you are, what you do, and why you're different, right? So, you know, in my case, I've been doing writing for a very long time, so it comes more easily for me. But the same recommendation still holds, right? The, you start with the content, and then as that content gets ranked in search, right? Uh, and, and you have to be a little bit more uh, considered by the time you, you know, when you create the content, you want to build in certain keywords into the content of the stuff that your potential customers would be searching on. So I'll just give you an example from when I was at the big agency. So I'm chief, I was chief digital officer of a group of eight healthcare agencies. And instead of just posting more stuff to social media or doing more advertising, uh, what I did instead was I trained our medical writers to do keyword research before they created the content. Mm. And I'll just use an example to illustrate, right? When they're writing for a doctor or an oncologist or some kind of specialist, the words that they use in those articles would probably be medical terms, right? Highly specialized medical terms. Whereas when they write for patients, they can't use those same highly technical terms because the patient won't even understand it, right? So by doing the keyword research and then determining who your audience is before you start writing, it's going to help you build in those keywords into your content so that when someone searches for it, your content will start to rise up to the top. And so if you start seeing your content rise up to the first page of Google search results, that would be the signal for you to start, uh, you know, like uh, ramping down your, your paid spending, right? You can do a little bit of paid spending, but just make sure you have the content there. Um, yeah, I kind of call it like harvesting the demand, right? So you can pitch your message out there, but if you're not harvesting the demand, maybe someone else will. So there's been a case, you know, I, I use this example in the classes that I teach. Um, you know, when Kodak was doing TV advertising, but Kodak did not have good search results, meaning good content, and they didn't have good reviews on Amazon. Um, which digital camera do you think people ended up buying? Right. They ended up buying Sony digital cameras or Canon digital cameras, even though Kodak was doing the advertising. So in that case, that was an example where they needed to make sure they have proper content there so that when people come online to look for it, they can find it. And furthermore, they might want to have good reviews on Amazon or just more reviews on Amazon so that people can choose to buy the Kodak digital camera, even though they got the idea from seeing a Kodak TV ad. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the programmatic exchange network, but, you know, obviously Facebook being one of the largest ad platforms, uh, especially with its connection to Instagram and, and uh, WhatsApp, you know, there you, you've also got some, some information. I know your article came out, a new one that came out on Forbes today, and you talk about how to look for or 
I'll call it an optimization, but it's actually uh, the, the thing that you need to do is to turn something off instead of turning something on, which I think is interesting. Talk about Facebook and, and how you can avoid that sort of, you know, bleeding of, of ad spend on that platform. Yeah, a lot of marketers are using Facebook to do advertising and they very much uh, think of Facebook as kind of one monolithic thing. But I actually think of Facebook in two parts. So there's the part of Facebook that's on its main site and its main app. And I believe that if the ads are shown on their main property, it's going to be shown to humans because humans are indeed logged into Facebook uh, when they go into their accounts and see the ads. However, there's another part of Facebook called Facebook Audience Network that are basically the apps and sites that are outside of Facebook, but that still use their tech to run ads, right? In those cases, the fraud might be way, way higher because those sites have both the opportunity and the means to inflate their own ad revenue, right? So if you're a site outside of Facebook and you want more ad revenue, you're not going to wait until humans show up, right? So you're just going to go buy some bot traffic. So they can basically manufacture as much traffic uh, and therefore add revenue for themselves as possible. So if you think about Facebook in those two parts, uh, if you're going to run ads on Facebook, make sure you limit them to only run on the main property of Facebook. And you do that by turning off FAN, Facebook Audience Network, so that your ads don't get shown on these thousands and thousands of sites outside of Facebook or mobile apps that could be fraudulent, right? And a lot of the data that I've seen, uh, it's almost like night and day. So make sure your ads are running only on Facebook. And in that case, you know, because the people are logged in and because the users of Facebook have volunteered their demographic information, like their age, their geographic location, their gender, various other things, probably a ton of other things, um, the, the targeting within Facebook is actually very accurate. So for people generating or needing to generate awareness, Facebook advertising does do really well. And especially if you're focused on outcomes. So I've, I've seen a lot of client data where they do track it all the way through to conversions and the click is coming from Facebook, especially you know with FAM turned off. Those are actually uh, highly, uh, they work very well, meaning we're seeing a high rate of conversions coming from those. Excellent, excellent. Well, Dr. Fu, we have covered a lot of ground today. I know that there are probably a lot of listeners who have some homework to do and go back and look at their analytics and look at some of the other metrics to really identify where can they optimize to make sure that they are buying quality, not quantity, and making sure that they, they can do their best due diligence to avoid ad waste. How can people find you, Dr. Fu? Uh, they can find me on Twitter. Um, that's where I usually put short snippets of things I either observe or see or whatever. So on Twitter, uh, my handle is ACFOU. And then obviously they can Google my name, Augustine Fu, on LinkedIn. I welcome people to follow me, uh, connect with me, happy to help out and answer any questions that they might have. Excellent. Well, thank you again. And uh, again, my name is Michael Wynn. I'm the Chief Digital Officer of Digital Ops, a division of RB Oppenheim Associates. Thank you for dialing in today and watching online. And we will catch you next time on the Digital Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great day.